Epiphany, the third Sunday in Epiphany. Epiphany, a time in the Christian calendar following the birth of Jesus, coming as a baby, for us to explore how then God is going on to reveal himself to us and show himself to us. So Epiphany kind of calls that we have our eyes open for God. And this morning, our text, the lectionary, takes us to Luke chapter 4. And it begins with a typical event in the life of ancient Jewish synagogues. Talking of which, we shouldn't have really planned worship for this morning without acknowledging, and we did forget, that today is Holocaust Memorial Sunday. And if you listened to Radio 4, the service this morning, you'd have heard the most beautiful uh, service coming out of St. Martin's in the field. It was beautiful, beautiful. And I feel ashamed that we kind of left it off. So let's read the text on behalf of our Jewish brothers and sisters this morning. But... This is where we begin in Luke chapter 4. On any Sabbath in that time, in Jesus' day, a preacher, not a professional rabbi, but a wise darshan, which means a speaker or a teller, reads from the Old Testament scroll. That's a normal thing that happened in Jesus' day in the synagogue. So they would pretty much like that, and sorry for the beautiful Jesus, although you might say he's not that beautiful, but most pictures I find of Jesus are beautiful Jesus. There's nothing to say in the scriptures he was beautiful, but we seem to beautify him. But there you go. But the rabbi would hand the scroll to the darshan just like this, and they would read from the Old Testament scroll, and then they would apply the text literally, literally, nothing about context. They would apply the text literally to religious, political, or ethical issues, making the text current. On this particular day in Nazareth, in Luke chapter 4, in his own hometown, remember, Jesus is the Darshan. In his own hometown, in his own synagogue, with all his fellow hometowners sitting, watching him and listening to him. Jesus is the Darshan. He's handed the scroll to pick up where the congregation left off last Sunday, and he reads from Isaiah 61, which the worship band read to us in the first part of the teaching this morning. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring Good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let go the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. The year of the Lord's favour means Jubilee year. We sang, didn't we, this morning? It's the year of Jubilee. Jubilee being every 50 years at that time people who owed debts, the slaves, their their kind of debts were cancelled out. So it's a year of jubilee, the year of the Lord's favour. Now, in Luke chapter 4, as far as we know, this is Jesus's first public sermon. 
In fact, it's the first thing he says at all in Luke's gospel. It's the first time we hear Jesus' voice at all. Now, what Jesus says here is very important today because, you see, Luke is a Gentile. For Gentile, read anybody who's not a Jew. That's all a Gentile is, anybody who's not a Jew. So what Jesus says in the synagogue today matters to Luke, the gospel writer. It's also Jesus' personal vision statement for his ministry and mission in the world. If you want to know what Jesus is about, that is it. Look no further. Gosh, if only writing vision statements were that easy. We're going through that grueling process at Regent Hall at the moment, just getting that vision statement into a few words. This Sabbath, on this day, this sermon proves to be one heck of a sermon by Jesus. Of course, it doesn't drop out from nowhere. Yes, the text from Isaiah is given. It happens to be the reading for that Sunday. But Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Now, we might think that Jesus always had the Spirit, being the Son of God, and to some extent that's true. But clearly, what Luke's saying is that on that day, the anointing of the Spirit comes in a very special way. It doesn't just drop out of thin air. This sermon has been kind of being slowly stewed, if you like, in Jesus' life for a very long time. It's been coming to this moment, being prepared. You see, we've got to remember that Jesus is just back from the desert, the wilderness experience, where he's been so deeply impacted by the experience of resisting the temptation to bow to lesser gods and to go for an easy, attractive outcome. For many, many days and weeks and possibly months, he's battled the dark side and struggled with powers to get here to preach today. He's turned down the lure of Twitter followers and stock options and personal power and influence. I'll give you everything if you just worship me, is the temptation. Classic, isn't it? And now, finally, at last back from that, Jesus is settled into his identity as the Messiah, as the Son of God. It's settled. He knows who he is. He's happy in his own skin. And he's ready for this moment to say, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. As Jesus, though, opens his mouth, something resonates from then, don't you think, till today like an ancient song, as familiar as our own heartbeat, that we'd forgotten about, yet seen when we hear it to know by heart. Have you ever heard of a preacher called Nadia Boltz-Weber? Have you? 
or I thought you'd be a bit aghast at me this morning, a bit disapproving, because she is known to throw in the odd swear word into her preaching. And she is rather radical and controversial, but I think you should Google her. She's got a lot of great things to say. And she's a public theologian. She's an American Lutheran um, theologian and preacher. And if you can take the spicy bits, she's worth listening to. And the reason she's so kind of not aggressive, but so kind of on the gospel is because she has had enough of being brought up to hear that God is a punishing God. That God is someone to be feared. She's had enough. And so she's creating a church called the House for Saints and Sinners, where we hear about the welcome of God. And she says that that text today might translate something like this. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to bring good food and wine to communities dependent on McDonald's because they can't afford anything else, to forgive and forego your student loans. I thought I might just hear an amen. To bring fresh water to the people of North Africa. To tell bank clerks the CEO has distributed their bonuses and stock options across the whole employee workforce. To dismantle profit systems which cheat the majority. To measure worth apart from wealth, privilege or status. And the Spirit of the Lord has sent me to release the captives to free addicts from the needle, the bottle, our phones, or our past, to lift up the depressed, to bring rest to sleep-deprived parents, amen, to free the wrongly imprisoned, to root out the desire for cheap goods from child labour, to offer belonging to the marginalised, to forgive the sinner, to save us from having to prove ourselves, to remove what holds us from letting the past go. And the Spirit of the Lord is on me to bring sight to the blind, to heal glaucoma, but also to change the way I see things, to show me how sin tears at our humanity, to show me who I really am, to help me notice the image of God in the world, to glimpse heaven here and now, that the kingdom of God is at hand. Should we say amen? Amen. It's a great preach from Jesus. But this sermon proves offensive to his first hearers. And next week, we're going to hear a lot more from Richard about why that is. So please come back. But here's a taster. You see, we had Isaiah 61 and Luke 4 in our service this morning. They're the same text, aren't they? Or are they? Do you remember... That game when you were children in a puzzle book when you just had books and you had to look for the differences in what looked like two identical pictures. Do you remember? 
You had to notice the differences. Well, do it with this one. Here's Isaiah 61 and Luke 4. There is a difference. Can you see it? Yes. What they normally hear in the synagogue, and there it is in yellow, the bit that Jesus misses out, what the Jewish congregation normally hears, the time of the Lord's favour has come, and with it, the day of God's anger against our enemies. Today, Jesus leaves that out. That's offensive, says N.T. Wright. It's offensive to the Israelites who assume that the good news is exclusive to them. What offends is that grace just might be for all nations and all peoples and all tribes and from those different to me. That grace might be for the whole creation. Yet Jesus says, Israel, you are to be a light for the nations, chosen people, yes, but not to inflict judgments and punishments on those Gentiles, but to bear forth God's love and mercy and grace to the whole world. Through you, Jesus says, you will bear grace to the rest. But he misses it out. So Jesus rolls up the scroll. And they're dumbfounded. And all eyes are on him. I guess they're waiting to hear that last bit and it didn't come. And he sits down and nobody moves. And then he says, okay guys, stop looking at me. You have what you need. It's all here. This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing today. Now, Jesus might have interpreted it backwards into the past, this text, or forwards into the future. Either way, it would have been perfectly legitimate for the darshan. He could have preached backwards. He could have said, now in the past, my friends, our fathers and mothers envisioned a world of justice, freedom, healing, a land of milk and honey, as God promised Moses. He could have gone backwards with his teaching. Or he could have gone forwards. Like Isaiah, we wait for the promise one day when the poor will be lifted up, the captive set free, the blind will see. Oh, how we long for that. How we pray for that. But isn't it slow in coming, Lord? Either way would have been fine in the synagogue. And I guess we could do that now today. How great it was back then. One day, one day, one day. But no, Jesus goes, today, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. They're shocked and we're shocked. What do you mean? Have you been watching the news, Jesus? Do you know how tough things are? More inequality, more Brexit troubles, more wrongly imprisoned, more violence, more sea level rises, more debt, more stress, more personal pain. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing today. 
And at this point, Jesus' mates want to throw him off a cliff. And us? What do we want to do with Jesus right now? We're often consumed with memories or dreams, either maintaining traditions, building structures, passing on patterns of life from our ancestors, or on the other hand, hoping for salvation to come one day from somewhere out there, longing for unanswered prayers to be heard like our children to come back to church. One day, Lord, one day. Now, I'm not standing here this morning to say that those things are not important. Not at all. In fact, we are part of an ongoing story of which both the past and the future are incredibly important. We know at Regent Hall the importance of carrying our heritage and yet being the Regent Hall that will flourish in the future. So vibrant communities must live out their heritage and we must embrace hope for tomorrow. But I think we need to say as well, don't we, this morning, based on this text, that the past and the present have their shadow sides, their dark sides. Either a nostalgia steeped in grief for a past that nothing can ever be better than that, or an anxiety raised by idealizing tomorrow that brings no guarantees, nostalgia and anxiety. Today is risky. Today insists that we lay down those memories for a moment and draw dreams for the future. For the sake of today. I think it's hugely risky and incredibly threatening today. Why? Because it demands that we step into the center. Not our ancestors, not our descendants. It places us, me, in the center of God's story reminding us that we are actors and agents in God's desire for the world and that we are also held and loved by him. And so Jesus says, look round, see the spirit of God at work right here. It's epiphany. God is with us. Just as God promised our father Moses at the burning bush, I will be with you today, the ever-loving, ever-liberating, always-present God is with us now. And by his Spirit, God is with us. Just as the Bible says in Genesis, his Spirit hovered over the face of the waters in creation. God hovers over us and in us today. Just as the Spirit came on Jesus in his first sermon. If we miss the theme of God's Spirit in Luke, 
we've missed the point of that whole gospel. This is the gospel writer who also wrote the book of Acts, which is the story of the spirit at work in the early church. So Luke's interest and calling to speak about the spirit is enormous. He writes about the spirit of God more than any other gospel writer. It's a beautiful gospel. You should read it from start to finish. So let's be attentive to the leadership of the Spirit today for us. No matter the circumstances, let us notice, if we can, beyond the brokenness, beyond the sin, beyond all of those circumstances, the profound reality of love and grace on which everything else rests. And if we can today grasp that the love of God is at work in the world, then fear and hatred slowly recedes, our desire for revenge melts away, and we can experience epiphany. And finally, as the Spirit of God was on Jesus, the Spirit of God is in this text for us today. And it calls us to align with this scripture. And now Isaiah's words that then became the words of Jesus and his vision statement now becomes the text of the church. And so I'm going to invite us to read this together as we partner with Christ for the sake of the world. As we read together a slightly paraphrased version, let's read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and therefore also with you, because he has anointed us to bring good news to the poor. He has sent us to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And Jesus' sermon remains as clear and poignant and urgent as ever. So may the good news be fulfilled today, not just in our words and in our singing, but in our daily living, as these words touch our hearing and open our eyes and pierce our heart to the very core. We're going to sing again this beautiful song, this beautiful scripture song. But let me pray with you first. And let me say that if there's anyone wanting to use the place of prayer this morning without judgment and in freedom in the anointing of the spirit then just make your way in you O lord our god we find our joy for through your law and your prophets you formed a people in mercy and freedom in justice and righteousness pour your spirit on us today so that we who are Christ's body may bear the good news of your ancient promises 
to all who seek you. And Lord, we do seek you with all our hearts and we pray that these words will live in our hearts and transform us, whether we are the bearers of good news or the recipients of the good news. Lord, come to us in a fresh way today. Amen.